How many of you ready for God's word today? Yes. All right, we'll get to that uh, just after we pray. So would you bow with me? Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come minister to us and through his word. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much that uh, you have come to make us new people, new people in Christ. We thank you that you have come to give us not only forgiveness, but also a purpose and a destiny in life. Lord, we're so blessed to be the people of God. And Father, for the opportunity today to share life-giving words that will bring encouragement, comfort, and Lord, that you'll stretch us into a new place of understanding your promises. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that not only makes promises, but who keeps his promises. You keep your word because you're a covenant-keeping God. We thank you that each and every promise is something that we can take personally because you are a God who honors your word. So Holy Spirit, come and teach and anoint what we have to share. Lord, we pray that you would break down any areas of walls of resistance or barriers of religion or tradition. And Father, that you take us to a new place of understanding. We pray that you do this today. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Well, we are in the midst of the message series that we've entitled The Promise because indeed Jesus came as the fulfillment of the promise of a Messiah. A Savior has come. So we've been emphasizing that during this Advent season. And as Pastor Crystal today lit the fourth candle, uh, I thought it might be useful just for us to recap. And she highlighted what each of these candles mean. Some of you may have missed the week's uh, leading up to today. So let's just recap uh, what the candle signified. All right. So the first candle was the hope candle. And what did we learn from that? We learned about God's faithfulness, his faithfulness in the past that gives us hope for the future. How many glad to have hope? Everybody say hope. hope. Then the second candle was the peace candle. And what did we learn? We learned that peace is not the absence of conflict, but instead it is the very presence of Christ and that God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds. Amen? Everybody say peace. peace. And last week we talked about joy. We lit the joy candle last week and we learned what? That the arrival of Jesus brings us joy. And the arrival of Christ in our heart he brings joy with him. And we learned that joy is not just a feeling. It's really a perspective, and it is a point of view. And the joy of the Lord can change your life and give you great strength. Amen? So that leaves today the love candle, when today begins one week of emphasis on the love of God and the promise of love. So today we're going to examine the promise of love as it relates to our life. I was thinking about all the other Advent uh, elements that we focused on, and I thought, 
Isn't it interesting that love is the last? Now, on Christmas Eve service, we'll focus, we'll, we'll actually have a candle that we call the Jesus candle, and the Jesus candle will be lit that Sunday. But I've often thought that during the Advent season, maybe the one feature that we don't normally correspond to Christmas adequately enough is love. I think frequently we think of Christmas time being a joyous season. We think of, we think of the hope uh, that God gives us through the birth of Christ and celebrating that, and we think of uh, peace. But I'm not sure that we give love enough credit. And so I thought, what a great moment that we have today to really put our hands around love in a new way. And the moment that I tell someone, well, I'm going to be teaching about God's love today, immediately the people's response is, I know about that. I check. I've already checked that off intellectually. I already know God, uh, God loves me. And they think that they've really already conquered that. And I, I really suggest to you that we have not done justice to not just understanding love, but also learning to experience it in all of its fullness. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is to really lock in your focus. I'm going to share uh, words, a lot of words with you today, maybe more words than I might normally share uh, in one of these messages, and not a whole lot of images to, to dazzle you, but just really focus with me on grasping, asking God to help you get a, a better understanding of the love of God and what that really means for each and every one of us. Is that deal? All right. So let me share with you, an, I think, a, a great quotation from A.W. Tozier, who is a wonderful, reliable Christian author and source. And let me tell you what he says about love. Tozer said, the love of God is one of the greatest realities of the universe. It is a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it's personal. It's intimate thing, an intimate thing. God does not love just populations. He loves people. He doesn't just love the masses, but he loves men. You see, God's love isn't just general, but it is personal, and it is intimate. I really am convinced, as I think you are as well, that love is at the very center of the Christmas message, the Christmas story. Love is right there at the center of it because it is, he is a God who loves you and who desires to be with you. That is Christmas. In short, the Christmas story is wrapped up in this concept. Love reached out and love reached down. God reached down, sent us his son to identify with our humanity and yet he was God. So let's remember this morning how love is featured in the Christmas message and understand it a little bit better. So what I want to do is help you to understand the promise of love and I hope to expand your understanding and your even your emotional attachment to really valuing the love of God. It is like none other. Frequently, our hurdle that we have to get over in grasping the love of God is we understand love in the way that Hollywood presents it. We understand love in a very human and a very carnal way. And we think of love as a feeling, and we think of love as, as romance, and we think of love as something uh, on a very human level. But what we're talking about today is a God kind of love. And it is incomparable. So let's answer the question of, well, what really is love? So let me say it in a number of different ways. And again, lock in, focus, and I think that you will be blessed by the resulting uh, understanding and increase that you have. Love is, un God's love is unending. It is unconditional. It is unrelenting, reliable, steadfast, it never gives up. Did you know that you will never have more of God's love towards you than you have at this very moment? 
You'll never have more. You will never have less God's love than you have today. Why? Because 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us what? That God is love. As a little boy attending Sunday school, that had to be one of the very first verses I ever memorized because it was the simplest, right? Everybody say it with me. God is love. That's right there in the scripture, right? So when we understand that the Bible says that God is love, notice that it doesn't say that God has love. It says that God is love. It says God is love. It is his nature. God is love. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus on a mission of love with a message of love. Christmas is simply a, a, a yearly reminder that God loves you and loves me. And it should cause us to immediately reflect upon the love of God. Now, we know that God created the universe. We know that as a creator, he created the planet. But sometimes we forget that he also created you and me. He created the human race, and he created you because he loves you. That's what motivated his creation, was out of his love for you and for me. Did you know that the reason that you're alive here today the reason that you're alive is because God created you as an object of his love. God made you so he could love you. He made you so he could have an expression of his love. What is love without a place to love? Without someone to place your love in? It's fruitless. God made you so that he could love you and so that you could also then respond to his love by loving him back. God's love for you is the reason that today your heart is still beating. It's because of God's love right now. It's the reason that you're breathing. God's love, as I described a while ago, is is unrelentless. I, I, I mean, it is steadfast. It is authentic. It is reliable. But maybe one of the, my favorite words to describe love is his love is unconditional. And sometimes we throw that term around like, don't you understand? We need to understand the unconditional love of God. And it's so true. But sometimes we really don't know what that means or we haven't really got, in, got a revelation of the unconditional nature of God's love. What does it mean that his love is unconditional? It means that God's good news is that he loves you on your good days just as much as on your bad days. Any of you have bad days ever? Liars. Liars. All of you, liars. No, you see, he loves you when you can feel his love. He loves you when you can't feel his love. He loves you when you can't seem to have a breakthrough. He loves you regardless of whether or not you think you even deserve his love. It's unconditional. You see, that means that there is nothing you can do that will make God stop loving you. Some people try awfully hard. They work really hard at trying to push God away and keep him from loving them. But there's absolutely nothing you can do to make him stop. You can try. You simply can't do it. Why? Because his love for you is based on his nature, his character, not on anything you do. It's not there because of how you feel today. It is there because of who he is. And it's not earned. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to deserve it. You can't work hard enough on your behavior in order to deserve it. It's unconditional. The Bible does tell us, and we know this is one of our cornerstone scriptures for understanding God's love. 
is that God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, into this world so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the result of love. That's the message of love. When baby Jesus grew into a man, and right now we're focusing on baby Jesus, but baby Jesus grows up. Baby Jesus grows up. He stretched his arms out wide as the cross, on the cross, in order to say this, I love you this much. This is the expression of my love for you. I love you so much, it hurts. I'm, I love you so much, he was saying, I'm willing to take your penalty of sin. I'm willing to take the judgment that belongs to you. I'm willing to take it on your behalf. I will die for you so that you don't have to live with that penalty. I'll die for you so that I won't have to even live without you. That was his heartbeat. I don't want to live without you. I, don't, I, I created you because I love you. And I don't want to live without you. So I'm sending my son Jesus and he'll take your place on the cross. Love is his essence. It is his nature. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us Ephesians 1, verse 4 through 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us. We just stop and think about that for a moment. Even before he made the world, before he created the world, God loved you. And he chose you to be in Christ and to be holy and without fault in his eyes, meaning you are now in right standing with God. Verse 5, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Isn't that great? That we can be adopted into God's family? And we're adopted into his family by, how did he do that? By bringing us through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, verse 5 says. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure to do that. My that truly is the message of love. Love requires sacrifice. It talks, if we talk about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, sometimes we need to remember exactly what kind of sacrifice that meant. Because the agape love of God is sacrificial. The God kind of love that God, the love that he loves you with and the love that he wants you to share with others is a love that pays sacrificially. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, the scripture tells us this is the kind of love that we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins. I like that. To clear away our sins and to remove the damage they've done to our relationship with God. Did you know that your sins did damage to your relationship with God? Yeah. It took Christ to come in order to pay that sacrificial price. During the 17th century, Oliver Cromwell was ruling in England. And the story is told of a soldier who had committed a, a heinous crime that deserved death, the death penalty. And so Cromwell had sentenced this soldier to be shot for his crimes, and he would be shot at curfew in the evening. Every evening there was a curfew. How many of you young people know what a curfew is? How many of you obey it? Never mind. Okay. So curfew was a time that was set, and they had a bell in every village, and the bells would all be rung at curfew time as a signal to everyone, make sure that you're at home. The sentence included his execution. 
and it was to take place at curfew time. The bell would ring, and he would be shot. The night that had been set apart for this particular soldier to be killed came, and it got close to curfew time, and the bell didn't sound. Cromwell immediately thought, there's a problem. Something's going on. I don't hear the bell. Cromwell sent some of his assistants to immediately go and discover why has the curfew bell not rung? They discovered that the soldier's fiance, the guilty soldier's fiance, had made her way up to the belfry of the tower where the big bell hung. She made her way up there and she grabbed hold of the great big clapper of the bell herself grabbing hold of it, hugging it with all of her might to prevent it from striking the bell and resulting in her husband-to-be's her husband death. She was immediately summoned by Cromwell to come and give account for her actions. And as she showed up before Cromwell, all she could do is weep. And then she showed him her hands that were bleeding, and her arms and muscles that were completely bruised because of what she had done to sacrifice herself for her fiancé. Oliver Cromwell's heart was moved, and he was so touched that he made this declaration. Your lover shall live because of your sacrifice tonight. The curfew bell will not ring tonight. And I thought to myself, what a great depiction and story of what sacrifice will do. Love being a sacrifice. Compared to this young lady, Christ gave his life to prevent you and me from taking the brunt of the payment for our sins. You see, love is not based on who you are. God's love for you is not based on who you are or what you've done. It's not based upon your name. It's not based on how much money you have. It's not based on your educational accomplishments or how many letters are behind your name or what your net worth is today. God's love is not based on how good you were last week or even what you will do this coming week. It's not based on who you are or what you've done, but the love of God and the work of Christ is based on one thing along, who He is. And once you settle who He is, then you can respond to the most important thing in life, which is not for you to do something, but for you to receive something. Have you received our number one purpose in life is to accept God's love. That's your number one purpose in life. So I appeal to you today, let God love you. Will you let God love you? So what does it mean? to receive God's love? What does it mean to um, unwrap God's love and to experience this kind of love that I've attempted to describe to you today? On Christmas you will receive gifts, likely. But those gifts will not benefit you if you don't receive them. If you don't unwrap them. If you don't open up and receive that. It is also true about the love of God. We have to Embrace, experience, and receive God's promised love for each of us. And I think that Ephesians chapter 3 should challenge all of us to expand our comprehension of God's love. So let me read this to you, and then I'm going to attempt to just give my interpretation of what this four-dimensional kind of love is all about. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says this, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. How many of you have 
Christ at home in your hearts. I hope that you've already made that decision. If not, you should today. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you have put your trust in him. Then your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, all of us should understand this, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. This is what we might simply describe as the 4D understanding of God's love. It's not two-dimensional. It's not three-dimensional. It's four-dimensional. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of God? May I suggest to you what each of these dimensions might imply for you and for me? Number one, the first dimension of God's love, it says that is God's, we should understand and grasp how wide his love is. What does that mean for you and for me? I believe it suggests that God's love is wide enough to be everywhere. There is no place that his love cannot reach, does not reach to and extend to. It is that wide and encompassing. There is no place where God's love is absent. His love is in your neighborhood. His love is in your state. It's in your region. It's where you live. There's no place where God's love isn't. His love is in the dark streets of the inner city. His love is in the crime-infested ghettos of urban population centers. His love is in the city dumps of Manila. And if you've never been there, you might not understand, but... God's love is there. In spite of the poverty, in spite of the desperation, God's love is right there. The city dump of Manila. The love of God is in the plains of the foothills of Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. It's also in the pricey penthouse suites of Manhattan. It's also in the cocaine-infested housing developments of every neighborhood in America. It is also in that place where Muslims live, where the Buddhists live, where the Hindus live, where so-called atheists reside. God's love is so wide, it's wide enough to be everywhere. It's in the bar. It's in the prison. It is in the crack house. It is in the house of prostitution. It is even in the ghetto. It is anywhere and everywhere because why? It's wide. God's love is wide. Number two, not only is it wide, remember it's four-dimensional. First of all, it's wide enough to be everywhere. Number two, it's long enough to last forever. God's love is long, unending. It's not like human love. Human love wears out. We still live with the endemic issues of conflict and marriages today. The rate of Christian marriages Breaking up and divorcing is equal to that of the non-believer. Unchurched, church alike, makes no difference at all. Now, that's a complicated problem. But I can sure tell you this, love, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, love, God's love, never fails. God's love never fails. God's love is long enough to last forever. It's not like human love that wears out. Human love stops loving when someone's unlovely. When someone is unlovable, human love checks out. Not God's love. 
Human love is conditional. It's not even sustainable. God's love is. Did you know that even if you choose to reject him, I urge you not to, but even if you chose to reject God and reject him and his offer of salvation for your life, and you go to hell, do you know that God will love you there? He'll still be loving you. Why? Because his love is long. His love is wide. His love is long. Number three, his love is deep. Oh, it's so deep. It's deep enough to handle anything you face in life. It's deep enough to, to handle whatever challenge that you go through. It's deep enough to feel your pain. It's deep enough to touch any situation, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging. There is no pit too deep for God's love to reach and transform. Sometimes we don't give God's love credit. And sometimes you fall into situations where you think God's love can't touch you. God's love is wide, long, and deep. It's deep enough to handle anything. Number four, the fourth dimension of his love is it's also high. When I was a little boy, my father and I would go to basketball games together. And it seemed like invariably in the stands where we were sitting at the gymnasium, the local university where we'd go and watch basketball games together, there seemed like there was invariably someone who was always tall sitting right in front of me. And I was always a short kid, medium height, average at best. And I always seemed to always get stuck sitting on the bleachers, and there were a couple of big, tall dudes always right in front of me. And I remember always trying to, you know, how in the world am I going to see this game? And I remember finally getting so frustrated, I would pull on my dad's coat, and he would pick me up and put me on his shoulders, and I would watch the rest of the basketball game from a better viewpoint. It was high enough. You see, God's love is high enough to overlook your errors. It's high enough to overlook, to look beyond mistakes. Aren't you glad? It's able to see beyond your failures, beyond your screw-ups. God's love is high. It's high enough to allow for start-overs, reboots, plan Bs. Plan C's. God's love is high enough to overlook. It's high enough to forgive any sin, no matter how terrible you may feel that it is. God's love is high. Doesn't Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 describe it well when it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. His love is high. Let us remember the four dimensions of his love that Ephesians talks about. All right, so I want to pose a question. This is a thought designed to be a thought-provoking question. Hopefully it will cause you stir your thinking. And um, I'm going to offer some of my answers that I think, I hope, you will find to be true in your life. So the question is simply this, how would your life change if you would deeply believe that God truly loved you? How, how would it change your life? What would be different? Comparing where you're at now or where, there, where you have been and where you would be if you could somehow discover and experience this God kind of love that we're talking about. If you could truly do that, what would change about your life? What would be different in life? Reflect on it. Think about it. May I suggest to you five results that I can suggest? These are 
five results that um, are, are, are true in my life, and a couple of them I'm still working on, but I think that they're true, and I can recommend them to you. Let's look at them together. Let me give them to you. Number one, the first result of really experiencing God's love, I mean in a deep way, not superficially, but deeply, the first one is, I feel accepted rather than ashamed. Shame is one of the worst things. Shame will push you away from God. Shame will build walls and barriers between you and other people. Most people walk in shame. They do. Shame covers their life and their thought processes and their memories. Most people walk in shame. Usually it's tied to some failure. It's tied to some sin. When you know that God has completely loved you and you experience it, then no longer do you need to be reminded of your past. All you need to do is accept and experience God's love. Because God came in the world, the scripture says, not to condemn it, but to save it. God did not come to condemn you for your wrongdoing, but to provide you with acceptance. Ephesians 1, 6 tells me that we're accepted in the beloved Jesus. Maybe one of the greatest identity points for you to grasp in your Christian journey is, I'm fully accepted in spite of my past, in spite of my mistakes. I'm fully accepted because I've been made worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm accepted. I don't need to be shamed anymore. That's a revelation. Can I hear an amen? amen. John 1.12 says, But all to who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Yeah. When you fully know that you're loved, it'll release you from the performance traps. It will set you free from approval addiction. Because when you know God has accepted you, I don't mean to be crude, but it doesn't matter what you think about me. If God accepts me, I can become very secure in that. Amen? But we have to continue to grow in that revelation, don't we? I do at least. Number two, let me give you the second result. If you fully, what would be different if you fully, fully experienced God's love? Number two, I realize that the result for me is that I know now that I am free from the penalty of sin. I said I'm free. I am free. You see, we're all sinners and we deserved to die. We had an enemy. Our greatest enemy, uh, I know that there's plenty of enemies in this world, but our greatest enemy is not terrorism or a pandemic or even racism, as bad as all those things are, but our greatest enemy is our sin. And yet it's the thing no one wants to talk about. No one wants to talk about sin today. If I threw a seminar and said, everybody come, we're having a seminar on sin two weeks. Make sure you sign up now. It's free. You don't have to pay any registration. Just come. It's a seminar on sin. How many, how many people do you think would crowd into the seminar? But regardless of how little emphasis sin is given or how much acknowledgement that sin is humanity's real enemy, it's still the truth. It's because of our instant our constant inclination to rebel against God. Because of sin, we're guilty. And because of sin, until we accept Christ's love, there is no rest in this life. But I'm free. And I pray that you can say, I know I'm free from the penalty of sin. That's the greatest message man has ever heard. 
that in spite of our sin, in spite of our ongoing struggle with sin, even though uh, our, our best behavior is tainted even by the, the filth of sin, God doesn't condemn us. We're free. We're free. Number three, the third result that I've discovered is I can now worship God with abandonment. When you fully accept and experience the love of God, it'll change the way you worship. All of a sudden, you're able to worship God in a level of liberty that means I can, with, with, with total abandonment, I can honor, worship, and praise God. You know what our problem is? Religion. Our problem is that religious people always think that extravagant worship is a waste of time and money. The disciples did it. The religious people of Jesus' day did it. They thought that the, the spending of the money, the value of the expensive ointment that Mary poured on the feet of Jesus as an act of worship was a waste. Why would you do that? Religious people, people bound in tradition and religion will always look with suspicion upon people who worship freely. But why should we avoid worshiping God with abandonment? It's always, I find, always religion that prevents it. Pride and religion. You show me someone who is what I would call raw. They've never been in church. They've never been affected by religious activity. They're just a raw pagan. You show me someone like that who gives their life to Christ, fully experiences the love and the forgiveness of God, and they will immediately enter right into abandoned, just free, liberated worship if they haven't been conditioned by religious tradition. We read in Scripture. The leper didn't seem to have any problem. That leper that got cleansed, he didn't have any problem giving it all to him. We don't have a video of it, but you can read, you can read that pretty clear, right? Yeah, the Bible makes it very clear all throughout Scripture. The psalmist himself said what? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. That's everything. That's emotional. That worship is emotional. You can't separate true worship and emotion. It's physical. It's emotional. It is intellectual. It, it, it touches every single aspect of who we are as God-created people. Once you experience the love of God, then you're like King David, who had a heart after God. And told his wife, honey, I'm sorry that you're ashamed of me today. I'm sorry that you're embarrassed by my freedom of worship. But I got news for you, honey. It's going to get worse next week. <laughs> you think I'm radical today? Hold on, honey, because it's going to get worse next week. Just get used to it. Someone told me years ago, worship viewed from a distance will always be looked upon with suspicion. But if you view worship from engagement, yeah. from the end, being a worshiper, yeah. you won't look suspicious at all. If you fully express, receive, experience the love of God, you'll begin to worship with abandonment. I'll never forget that maybe that was one of the clearest marks of knowing that my youngest son, Josh, had truly experienced something remarkable when he recommitted his life to Christ after his junior year in high school, when he had just gone through three years of utter rebellion. God got a hold of him one night. And as a parent, particularly when you've gone through that, you're like, mm, I hope this is real. I hope this sticks. But you know what convinced me? How he worshiped how he worshiped. And even when he was 
serving with youth with a mission, going around the world, he would send postcards and always put at the bottom of the postcard, Dad, I'm still ruined for the ordinary. He figured out how much God loved him. He's been worshiping God with abandonment ever since. Number four, as a result, I'm bold now in bringing my needs to God. If I'm so fully loved by God the way I described it earlier, what would keep me from bringing my needs to God? Hebrews 4.16, to the throne of grace. I come how? Boldly and with confidence. And I come and I find grace Receive mercy. Find grace to help me in my time of need. If you are truly experiencing the fullness of God's love, my friend, you will not hesitate to bring your needs before God. Lastly, number five. I believe if you fully experience the love of God the way you should, that I should, I believe it will result in you saying this with me. Now I'm going to share God's love with others. Because once you truly taste and receive, you taste it and you receive it and you take it in personally, how can you help but be contagious? How can you help but share the love that you now know that you're a recipient of? Why would anybody who has been forgiven of the contagion of sin, the disease of sin in their life, why would any of us refuse to share that answer with others? Why would we be so proud and selfish to hold on to good news when we know it'll change other people's lives? 1 John chapter 4 reminds us in the message paraphrase, my dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. And yet Christians seem to have a hard time. In most of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches in the New Testament, they were fighting and arguing and in conflict. Hundreds and hundreds of splits and denominations are in our country alone. Not all for legitimate theological distinctions, but much of it because why? People just can't get along. That's why the statistics for Christians and non-Christians for divorce is the same. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you the truth. We got a lot to learn when it comes to sharing God's love with others. How we love one another within the body of Christ. How we love others who are lost. How we love our neighbor, how we love our coworker, how we love people. Do we share? Do we share? Are we how contagious are we with this love we've talked about? These are five results that I think will come. And maybe you have some other answers to that important question. But let me just remind you of the question. What would be different? If you were to truly experience the love of God the way we can, how would your life change? Do you deeply believe God's love for you? Would you stand to your feet with me? Prayer teams can come forward. And as they do, here's what I'd like for you all to do and those of you who are watching via stream. I believe that there are many of us who are in this room and those watching who are struggling to deeply believe and receive. And many of us are struggling to do that because we are stuck. We're stuck in sometimes religious thinking. We're stuck because of poor role models, really bad father experiences in our past that prevent us from opening up enough to receive. God wants to set you free. God wants to release you from those things. 
so that you can fully believe and receive. So I'm just going to ask you, if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I, you know, I need prayer for a breakthrough to receive God's love. I don't seem to be able to do that. I'm going to ask that you just slip out of your seat and just come and stand right here. I'm just going to pray over us as a group. So if you're here this morning, you say, I, I, I've got a problem. I've got a need. I don't seem to be able to move into these results the way I should. And if you just like to come, we're going to pray. Give you a moment to respond. I believe there are several. Would you like a breakthrough so that you can fully experience God's love? Others? We're going to pray. We're not going to wait long. Would you pray with me now? Lord, we need a breakthrough of love over us individually as a body of believers. Lord, we have strongholds that are blocking our ability to fully receive, Lord. So please release us and forgive us for distancing ourselves from that love of God. Lord, we ask and we pray for every single one of us in this room and those who are watching online that we would have a new dimension, a new understanding of each of the four dimensions of your love. How wide and long and deep and high. Lord, we want to know it all. So Lord, let this Christmas season be a season of experiencing, receiving the promise of love from you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer teams are going to be here if you would like to come. Those of you who are watching, you would like to enter something into that chat feature, we'll be happy to respond to you as well. And for everyone else, have a blessed week and a Merry Christmas. We'll see you on Christmas Eve morning right here. God bless you.